This morning we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll take a look at verse 16 this morning. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. It tells us that your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to divide and to penetrate even bone and marrow and soul and spirit were it divisible. It is that fine of a blade. So we understand that your word with the power of your Holy Spirit is able to speak directly to each person in the room simultaneously regardless of their circumstance or what they're going through or dealing with, your word by your spirit has the power to communicate your message. I pray that you would give ears to hear this morning, that all those who are listening might hear your word and that they might experience your grace and your mercy and transformation. I pray that you would use this message today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll get back to 1 Timothy 4 in just a moment. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about, during this sort of abbreviated time, uh, parentheses between our series in Mark and between our series that will start next week in the book of Jonah. And we've taken this two or three weeks to talk a few uh, topical sermons about the gospel, about what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and how do you define discipleship? And what does it mean for us to be disciples? We, we sort of finished that last week with a talk about God's command to be active in sharing your faith from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In that passage, you were reminded as a follower of Jesus that you are an ambassador for Christ. He has given you the message and the ministry of reconciliation so that in your life, no matter where he has placed you, whether it's in a neighborhood or at a workplace or with a group of friends or acquaintances, that God has sprinkled you strategically where he wants someone to hear the gospel. And you have the ministry of reconciliation and you are an ambassador for Jesus if you are a Jesus follower. And that is that you are to live this life on mission. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you follow Jesus by faith, you should think of yourself as a missionary in a foreign culture. This world is not your home. You are only passing through. You are not to make yourself at home here, but you are longing for another home, right? Uh, and so as we are traveling through this world, we are um, citizens of another nation, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God. And so you are to live your life as a missionary here in this foreign culture as though this world is not your home. You should not feel at home here. You should feel a longing for your heavenly home. And if you live this way, 
If you live in such a missional way, such a transient, temporal, citizen of a future kingdom kind of way, you can expect to find difficulty here, right? If you're living as a foreign citizen in another nation, you should expect trials and difficulties that come with that. But if you live this way, you're going to find that your life has meaning and that your life has purpose and that it's impactful. And that it's impactful and it makes a difference in people's lives, not just for a little while, but it has the potential to make a difference in people's lives for eternity. Oftentimes, when I share my testimony of how I became a believer, people will ask, have you ever met that man or seen that man again who led you to faith in Jesus? And I say, no, I've never met him. I've tried to track him down in the past. He was a stranger to me. He was just doing a door-to-door survey. And when he led me to faith in Jesus, he moved on to the next door. And I've never seen him since. But he made an eternal impact in my life. And he made an eternal impact in my children's lives. And Lord willing, my grandchildren, should I be fortunate to have them and blessed to have them in the future. That man made a meaningful impact in my life that will affect me for eternity. So if you live that way, with purpose, with meaning, as an ambassador, as a missionary in a foreign culture, you're making an impact for eternity, you're going to find that your life won't be wasted. You won't have a wasted life. So the point of today's message, what I want to... Uh, I want to communicate two things really clearly to you today. Number one is, how do you personally live a life that's not wasted? How do you personally live a life that's not wasted? John Piper tells a story about his father, who was an evangelist. John Piper is a pastor, a former pastor. And he tells the story of traveling with his dad, who was an evangelist, and in a particular church where his father was preaching an evangelistic message, there was an elderly man for whom the church had been praying for a long time. And this man, I believe in his 80s, responded to John Piper's father's evangelistic message and came forward, and after the meeting was over, Everyone else was dismissed, and this man sat on the front row and heard the gospel and responded to it. And Piper, waiting for his father, remembers sitting in a corner as an eight, nine, ten-year-old boy, waiting for his dad and listening to this elderly man cry out, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. He said he's never forgotten that scene of this emotional elderly man who had lived an entire life for things that didn't matter. And his regret was that he had wasted his life. So the point of today's message, the first point is, how can you now live a life that's not wasted? The second part of today's message was how do we collectively as a body of believers who are sort of united together in this congregation called Ridgeline, this body of believers that God has woven together from several different congregations that in this unique time, how do we prioritize the work that God has called us to do 
so that we can say collectively that we have not wasted it. What a tragedy it would be if we merged 18 months ago and 18 months from now found ourselves as a dying, decaying, closing church because we failed to live on mission together. So those are the two points I want to get across this morning. How to live a personal life that's not wasted and how do we prioritize the mission collectively, congregationally so that our time together isn't wasted. As I was thinking about this uh, passage over the last few weeks, uh, this week I read a missionary story. Uh, Actually, Lily and I read a missionary story and she read it aloud to me while I was doing something else. And as I was doing something else, I know this never happens to you, but I made her go back and read it again because I might have missed the first uh, few paragraphs. And so once I was interested, I said, let's go back and let's reread it. And so uh, I asked her to write a five or six page one, five or six paragraph, one page summary. And she was going to come up here and share it, but I don't know that we have time. But we were reading about the missionary Amy Carmichael. And Amy Carmichael was a missionary who ministered in India. And as a young woman, uh, she found herself um, known as a child stealer because she would take abandoned and slave children and rescue them in the name of Jesus and give them a home and give them love. And there was one particular girl, a little Indian girl named Prina, who lived as a, a temple slave. Her mother had... Um, sold her as a temple slave in a Hindu temple. And the description of this temple and her services in that temple are reprehensible. She would service the different priests and gods and priestesses and organize uh, sacrifices and bring clean blood areas and, and was just sold by her mother as a temple slave to these Indian gods. She had been there since she was two when her mother sold her. And one time she had tried to escape. And when they found her, they branded her hands with iron, symbolizing that she was um, a resident of this temple. One night when she was in the temple, she heard two of the temple women saying, there is a white woman named Amy Carmichael. She is one of those Christian missionaries and she is stealing children teaching them about her God who is called Jesus Christ. And they said, we hope that she doesn't come here. Prina, the little girl, had never been so happy in her life and thought, I hope she does come here, she thought. For once she had a little shred of hope. But it was shattered a few nights later when she heard different words from those temple women. Those temple women said, Prina is seven years old now and she must be married to the gods. Prina had no idea what this meant, but she was terrified. She had heard of this ritual in other girls' lives and the screaming and all the pain that went involved in it, and so she began to be fearful. And in fear, she snuck out the next night. She felt free as though she were running through the streets. She was dodging people, trying to hide through the jungle. She ran for what seemed like hours until finally she bumped into people who were gathered by a well. She asked these people, do you know where Amy Carmichael lives? She asked out of breath. 
Those people recognized her by her clothes and possibly by her branding and said, she's a runaway temple girl. Grab her, the people shouted. Prina started running again even faster than before when she saw the temple women among the mob. They chased her all the way to another village where she bumped into a woman, a white woman, and asked, could this be the child stealer, Amy? Hastily, she clung to the woman and said, don't let them take me, please. I want to learn about your God, Jesus Christ. Prina said, shaking, uh, Prina said, shaking, and the temple woman uh, came and burst into the crowd. She belongs to us. We paid $50 for her. Give her back, they said. The woman, to Prina's surprise, stood up for her and said, I will pay you your $50 back. This child needs me. My name is Amy, and I will raise her from now on. Prina watched in amazement as Amy paid for her. Prina was the start to many other children in Amy Carmichael's house. So many that she had to move to a new village and buy a much bigger house for all of them. Amy Carmichael lived such an amazing purpose in this world. I couldn't help but read that thinking, that is a life that's not wasted. That's a life that's making a difference. That's a life who at the end of it, when you do a funeral for someone like Amy Carmichael, you just stand in awe of how God used her. And we don't all have to have the same story that Amy Carmichael has to categorize our life as not wasted. You can live a faithful Christian life here in obedience to God and your life will not be categorized as wasted but so many people waste their life so let's take a look back at first Timothy chapter 4 and and get a better understanding of the passage I always hate to yank one verse out of context and then jump off into a topical sermon so Forgive me, but my sort of expository nature has to read a verse in context. And so let's start at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The passage says, Paul writing a letter to Timothy, his young protege, the one he has mentored and discipled in the faith. Now Timothy is leading a church in an area, and Paul is writing a letter to him. And in part of this letter, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he tells Timothy... Now the Holy Spirit, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. They will devote themselves to demons, deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, um, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So pause there. Verse 1 and 2, Paul writing to his mentor, to his young um, protege, the one he has mentored, Timothy, says, the people in your church, some of them are going to leave and depart from the faith. They're not just going to leave your church and go find another church around the corner that does different music or does different teaching or has better programs. They're not going to leave your church for another church. They're going to leave the faith altogether. So imagine this room 10 years from now and looking around this room and seeing that there are some who used to be here who aren't here any longer. And not only are they not here, they're not in any church. They have completely rejected Jesus and the faith. They are no longer walking in faith. That's a serious 
call for what follows. That's a serious warning for what follows. Some are going to depart from the faith. They're no longer going to be believers. If you skip all the way down to verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy, in light of that departure from the faith, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save you will preserve both yourself and those who are hearing you. Paul wants Timothy to hear this warning. Some are going to leave the faith, and you can help them not do that. As a pastor, you can help them not do that. You can help these people to finish well in the faith. And he lists for him in that chapter a few things that he can do so that their lives won't be wasted and so that their life won't be spent in worthless ways, but so that their life will count. If you just sort of skim through chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, as a good servant of Christ Jesus, he wanted him to be trained in the words of faith and in the good doctrine. Right? That's, that's the gospel, words of faith, and good doctrine, that's the, the Bible. So he says, as a good servant of Jesus Christ, I want you to be trained. I want you to exercise. I want you to be disciplined is the same idea that verse 6 carries. Verse 7, in chapter 4, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. That word train is also the word exercise yourself unto godliness. Verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for this life, but also for eternity. You want to make an eternal impact? You want to preserve these people? Watch your life, watch your doctrine, train yourself, exercise yourself, be disciplined in this way. Focus on the priority of godliness because it has value here, but it also has value in eternity. Physical training, exercise has some value, but not near as much as training in godliness. Uh, Verse 10, we toil, we strive for this end. That language toiling, striving, training, exercising, um, devotion. Verse 11, command these things, teach these things. Verse 12, set an example. Verse 13, devotion, devote yourself to the public reading, to the preaching and the teaching and uh, to scripture. Verse 14, don't neglect your gifts. Practice these things. Verse 15, immerse yourself in them so that people can see your progress. You see how Paul is telling Timothy, he's giving him a list of how to make an impact and how to preserve those, those to whom he is pastoring. In a broad sense, he is helping Timothy see that an examined life, an ordered life, a disciplined and thoughtful life is a life spent training for godliness. It's a life that's not wasted and that is carefully watched, monitored, evaluated, and changed. An examined life, an ordered life, is a disciplined and thoughtful life, a life spent training for godliness as though there were a race ahead and you were setting your alarm earlier to go and run and lift weights and do whatever you would need to do to train for a race. Paul is taking that same idea and saying, now apply that to godliness because it's going to make a difference. So do you want to make an eternal impact 
Do you want to get to the end of your days and not say it was wasted? It was wasted. It was wasted. He says, train yourself in godliness. Exercise yourself. Discipline yourself. Order your life in such a way that the result is an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ that changes your desires at the heart level and flows outward to your behaviors as you confess and repent and walk in community. So if you want to make an internal impact, train yourself in godliness is the key. Now for the past few weeks, I've had these weird jars laying around the stage. And people have asked, what's with the weird jars? And so I want to explain what's with the weird jars um, this morning. If you think of this jar, uh, this represents your life. really represents uh, your time. This is sort of the sum total of your life. And in this jar, you've been given this jar, you've been given this life. You didn't ask for it, you didn't demand life. It was a gift from your creator. And it was his desire that you give this life back to him so that he can use it for his purposes rather than you taking this life and using it for your own purposes. So he gives you this life to do with whatever you choose, okay? You can do whatever you want with it. You can go out and fill this life with anything that you desire. But God's desire is that you give it back to him so that he can use you for his purpose of loving people with the love he loves you with and gives you. And at the end of your life, you're going to have to give an account for what you put in this jar, Romans 14, 12 says, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. So that ups the stakes a little bit. Not only do we want to not live a life that's wasted, but we're going to have to give an account for what we do with this life. And so this jar represents your life. And these rocks represent what types of things that you will fill your life with. You see the bottom layer of this jar Oh my gosh, if I drop that, <laughs> it's so heavy. You see, the bottom layer of this jar is filled with sand. And the sand basically represents all of the sort of urgent, non-eternal um, things that really won't matter in eternity. Uh, you can fill your life like this with priorities you already have priorities. You already spend your life. And we all spend the same amount of time in life. It's just a matter of what we do and what we put in our life. Some people, the sand represents things that are um, not of eternal value. Things that don't necessarily matter. While these bigger rocks, they represent things that have eternal value. Things that if you invest in those activities, it is similar to training yourself for godliness and making the sort of eternal impact that we read, Amy Carmichael read. And then the medium rocks and the small rocks all have similar weight in the priority with which you fill your life with them. Is that clear? You understand the jars? I don't want to move on if we don't understand the jars. I actually have jar handouts. Um, can I get four kids to help me um, pass out these jar handouts? All right, most people have one of those. Thanks, kids and adults who helped. Very helpful. If you want to take notes, you can. You don't have to, but I'm going to describe 
um, really what the, uh, the things are that we fill our life with and how um, if we want to order our life for the purpose of godliness, if we want to exercise ourselves to godliness, if we want to have a life that matters, a life that would be categorized as one that's not wasted, what you fill your life with, the habits that you build, will have a direct result on the impact that you will make in your life. So there's a few things that we need to think about before we start filling up these lives. Because what we're talking about is how you spend your time, primarily, personally, how you spend your time, and then secondarily, how we as a collective body of believers, what priorities that we have together that will determine if our lives are wasted and if our church time is wasted. We're talking about how you spend your time and what you do with the time that you have each day. That time you spend forms habits, and those habits form a lifestyle. And that lifestyle becomes your life after three or so years. So what have you consistently done for three years that accurately describes your lifestyle for most of us? Now listen, the most efficient use of your time the best way to spend your time, would you agree, is that if you built in a habit so that it operated almost like clockwork, where it was the most natural thing to you to do an activity that it came from habit building. How many days does it take to build a habit? 21. 21, 23, 25. We've all read sort of different leadership books that describe habit building, but it's roughly in that 21-day period that if you want to... Um, have habits that are impactful, that are going to make a difference, it takes about a month to develop those habits by doing them on a daily basis. So if you want to organize your life, if you want to set it up, you should keep in mind that habit building is the most efficient way to make something unnatural become more natural. If you've ever tried to take up a diet or exercise routine and your body is shocked into a new routine and you just hate everything for like a week or two. But then after like three or four weeks, you realize I feel a little bit better, right? Anybody ever had that experience? Uh, you've tried to instill in yourself a new discipline, a new habit, and after a while, there's a payoff. But to get to that payoff is difficult, right? So how do we evaluate which habits that we should start and what big rocks versus small rocks, versus sand that we're going to put into our jar or our life. And let me give you a couple of key questions for um, the big rocks and the smaller rocks. Here's some helpful questions. Is this activity of eternal value? Will this matter a thousand years from now? Is this of earthly value? Will this matter 50 years from now? Will this contribute to the kingdom of God? Will this build someone else up or tear them down? Is this true? Is this sin? Is this worldly? Is this helpful? Is this selfish? These are just a few evaluation questions. Basically, is it of eternal value? Is it of earthly value? Will it matter in 50 years? Will it matter in 1,000 years? Will it contribute to the kingdom? Will it build someone up? Is it true, sin, worldly, helpful, selfish? And how do you evaluate 
if your small rock or sand activities are disproportionate. We'll get into that in a minute. The hardest part of this exercise, as you kind of look at your sheets, is probably not finding out what your big rocks are and what your sand elements are, right? The big rocks are sometimes more self-explanatory, right? You can probably spend a half hour this week on your sheet and take a look at your highest priorities and then also look at your sort of sand level categories. The more difficult thing you're going to find is that the way you categorize and prioritize the medium-sized rocks and the big rocks are the hardest part of this exercise because good always steals from best. And best never comes with a deadline and it never comes with someone checking on you, right? You know what I mean? Nobody ever comes to you unless they're real creepy. Like nobody ever wakes you up, a stranger wakes you up with coffee in your Bible and says, let's get in the Word together this morning. And yet you developing a holy habit of seeking uh, deep love and intimacy with Jesus is a big rock category, right? That doesn't come with a deadline. Loving your wife well, loving your husband well, loving your children well, loving people within your significant relational status well, those are big rock activities that often get compromised for sand and small rock activities, right? The most important things in your life don't have deadlines and they often don't have people checking on you. And so it's up to you as a Romans 14, 12 truth that you're going to have to give an account for what goes in here. And so those big things are going to be easy to identify, but harder to live out. I got my list together. It's awesome. But me living my list is a totally different thing, right? You're going you're to breeze through your list making. But you implementing your big rocks, medium rocks, small rocks, and sand rocks is a more difficult thing. And probably the more challenging part of that is how you distinguish between your medium rocks and your large rocks. Because the medium rocks will give an illusion that your life matters and it's not wasted but that impact doesn't last more than a lifetime. There are very few people that we think about that have a daily impact on our life from two or 300 years ago. That list is very small. But even for them, that that doesn't really, they're dead, right? I mean, that's that's not even really matter to them. So, So if you want to make an eternal impact, not just one for this lifetime, you have to distinguish between a medium rock and a big rock. So let me show you my priorities. The sound booth will put it up here on the, on the screen. You make your own list. I'm just going to tell you, these are my big rocks and my small rocks and my sand rocks and my medium rocks. And you can take notes if you want to, if you find this exercise helpful. Um, in a few minutes, we'll talk not just about the personal things in the jar, but we'll talk about the um, corporate things for our congregation. So let's start with the the bad stuff, okay? That's probably easier for us. The sand type issues. Um, If the sand issues, they can come in a lot of categories, but I've given you two. The first category of sand type issues are the unexpected and inevitable and urgent demands in life that are necessary, 
but make no eternal difference whatsoever. Things like sales calls, DMV waits. Anybody ever go to the DMV and wait for a few hours? Been there uh, several times and done that. Um, Things like government bureaucracy uh, being on hold with the cable company um, or the utilities company. No offense if you work for any of those places. Uh, Long commutes, emergency room waits. You understand those sort of categories of sand type activity. And if you allow those sort of sand type activities to dominate your life and schedule, um, you won't be redeeming your time very well. Um, A second category that I would put into the sand category is destructive behaviors. Destructive, sinful behaviors have a habit of filling up our life and really chewing away at it. Let Let me help you think about destructive behaviors. Because they quickly and actively add up to a wasted life. I've done funerals. I've even done back-to-back funerals of a life that wasn't wasted and then another life that was completely wasted in addiction. I've told those stories before, but, but the contrast when you do back-to-back funerals within a week's time of somebody who wasted their life versus somebody who invested their life is impactful, to say the least. But if you feed and persist in destructive behaviors it will add up to a lifestyle. And in the end, somebody will preach a funeral and you'll be a sermon illustration of a wasted life. And I want more more for you than that. So a wasted life is a life filled with sand that minor or majors on these destructive behaviors. See, God has given you good gifts in your natural drives, right? It's giving you a hunger drive. Your body needs sleep. Um, if you're married, your body is equipped for a sex drive. Even if you're not married, your body's equipped with that. Um, God has given us these good blessings in life, and they're meant to be enjoyed in a boundary. <coughs> but when you go outside of those boundaries with maybe a hunger drive and, and overeating, Or maybe you want to experience pleasure. We have this pleasure drive and you are giving in to using illegal drugs or alcoholism or irresponsible marijuana use or other substance abuse. And you're doing that to escape life's trials and difficulties. Those substances used in excess over long periods of time will lead to a sandy life that is wasted. Destructive behaviors include sexual sin, substance abuse, laziness is a a massive destroyer of life. Bitterness is a destroyer of life. Pride is a destroyer of life. Deceit, if you live a lying life, if you are constantly deceiving people, all of those activities add up to a life with very little impact. And none of us want our jar to be full of sand like that. We want to fill our life with these big rocks. So what are the big rocks? Let me show you the big rocks that I listed in mine. Uh, These big rocks, if I prioritize these big rocks, because the problem is if I don't prioritize, you see this jar, the most important things don't fit in my life if it's filled with the wrong stuff. 
But if my life is still first in priority with these big rock activities, things like intimacy with God, where on a daily basis through Bible, prayer, spiritual disciplines, the continual exercise of living by faith, that desire to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if that big rock activity defines and becomes a habit for you that you are fostering intimacy with God, um, if another big rock activity in your life is a kingdom of God activity, that is you're actively seeking to build up the body of Christ, you're working as a missional person in your life, you're doing outreach and evangelism and disciple making and mentoring and coaching and other uh, necessary church activities that contribute to the growth of the kingdom. Um, another big rock is your uh, marriage, family, parenting, significant relationships, peace. That is responsibilities, activities, and an investment in relationships that will matter the most for your lifetime and you're not neglecting those. Those are big rock activities. Health, taking care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, getting rest, taking care of yourself. That's a big rock activity. Uh, providing food, clothing, shelter, finances, transportation, information. That sort of big rock activity has to happen in your life and it has to happen well. But the good news is Matthew 6.33 says that if you seek first the kingdom of God, and as if you get the biggest rock right, he promises if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he will add to you all of these other things as well. And so you don't have to stress over provisions. You don't have to worry and be anxious about how am I going to take care of my kids? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to take care of my mortgage? How am I going to... If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he promises to add to you this provision peace. Another big rock for me is community, meaningful relationships, experiencing life without isolation within a small community of people that are supportive, challenging, and life-giving. So who are your people? When I think about the church, I came to a place of great freedom a few years ago, and it was the realization that is this. Within a crowd, any given crowd, Maybe a small percentage, I'll just say 10%, don't really like me, <laughs> um, are critical of me, personally don't like me, don't like my stories, don't like my illustrations, can think of a hundred things that I do wrong and kind of wait on the edge for me to do something that they disagree with. And that speaks more to like their personality, but, but also in a room, there might be another 10% who love everything about me, right? And everything I do is right, and every sermon I preach is great, and every story I tell is great. And, and I, you know, I understand that. And so if I kind of chop off the two edges there and separate those people, I don't listen to the critical ones so much, and I take the ones that even though I like to hear that, <laughs> I sort of take that with a grain of salt, and I'm working with the 80% in the middle. For the majority of that 80%, I am a minor character in your story. I'm just... You'll think about me for this next few minutes of the sermon, and then maybe even not even that much, but, but at the end of the sermon, you won't think about me again until next week, and I'm okay with being relegated to that position in your life. That's completely fine. I don't need more attention from you or less attention from you. I just want to be used by God, but, but my community, this big rock category, my community is different than that. My community are my people. Who are your people? The ones that you stick through with 
thick and thin that are, are, are going to be the ones who carry your casket and lower you in the ground kind of people. If you don't have a handful of those, this is a big rock to me. You may put it in a different category. Let me tell you what my medium rocks are. Uh, my medium rocks, I kind of answer it with the question of what will matter the most in this lifetime. Um, some of those things are career. That is, how do I provide and one way that I contribute to society? Important. It's a medium-sized rock. It contributes. It's, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, stewardship, the way in which I thoughtfully, carefully, and responsibly use my resources, like my money and my time um, and the giftedness that God has given me. Um, those are all important. Um, medium rocks for me are things like personal growth, personal goals, skill development, knowledge attainment, formal education, degrees, certificates. My contribution um, is, as far as spiritual growth goes. Uh, another medium rock for me is artistry, something that creates and contributes beauty to the world just for the good of the world, or maybe it's thought-provoking in that way. Uh, a fifth medium rock for me is societal responsibilities. How do you positively contribute to society through justice, mercy, politics, civic issues, causes, um, coaching Little League? Those are all sort of medium rocks to me. You may argue that they should be small rocks, but, but, um, but they're, they're medium rocks to me. You fill out your own list. This is mine, okay? Now, the, the small rocks. The small rocks that I have um, fit into my life well as my big rocks and my medium rocks are prioritized. You see that? So I can drop these smaller rocks in. It's going to be loud. I can drop these smaller rocks in, and they sort of find their way into the smaller spaces in my life. And so an amazing thing happens when I've got my big rocks in place and my medium rocks in place, I still have time and there's still room in my life for small rocks, things like entertainment. There's nothing wrong with entertainment as long as it stays within the boundaries of a prioritized life. If you work hard and you're not lazy, entertainment has a valuable place. But if you binge watch 16 series of Netflix every week. Like, entertainment is a big rock priority for you. If you play video games too much, then you have to categorize that as one of the biggest rocks of your life. Now, I'm not going to lie. I play a lot of video games with my kids, and, and yet it doesn't create an imbalance in the way that my big rocks, my medium rocks, and my small rocks fit in. Uh, it has a place, and it's not a bad thing. It's a way in which God allows you to enjoy life. Another small rock, it's not for me, I mean, but it's vanity. I mean, I'm going to tell you, it's good to be in shape. It's not wrong to look good and to spend time and money doing it. You can tell I don't have a lot to work with, <laughs> so it's not kind of a, a big, small rock for me. But, but uh, vanity, um, if, if your life is out of balance with that, and you're overly concerned about the way you look, it can take a high value, but, but eventually your body wears down, right? Eventually your body will break down and it won't carry you into eternity. Fashion, home improvements, a, a bigger one that I see in our life, a small rock is social media. Um, 
You know, it's one thing to invest in healthy relationships, your tribe, your community, your people in that big rock category. But it's another thing for you to spend hours and hours with people you don't know or are just acquaintances with and you're constantly checking what everybody else in your life is doing. Social media should represent a very small part of your life or it can become unhealthy. And then once you see that you have sort of a prioritized life like this, then when you have to make a trip to the ER or the DMV or whatever else, those sort of small standy things still fit in to a well-ordered life. Um, so that's my list and I want you to take this sheet of paper home and I want you to spend a good amount of time trying to figure out what your big rocks are, what your medium rocks are, what your small rocks are and what your sandy issues are now as we close I want to show you the church list because collectively as a congregation part of today's sermon plan was to give you an update on where we are in the merger process and to explain what you can expect over the next 18 months. And so using this same sort of illustration in our church jar, if this church is going to survive and be different 18 months from now and be poised for a future, I introduced a concept last week called Mission Drift. I know many of you know what that is. You don't, you don't need me to explain it again. But for those who didn't, I can just simply say mission drift is one of the ways that churches die. There are many ways churches die. Unconfessed sin, uh, division, gossip, slander. Uh, you can find a hundred ways the devil wants to divide and kill a church. But one of the ways that a church dies is mission drift. Mission drift is when you understand what you're supposed to do and you just don't do it. When all of the programs for a church turn inward and how do we minister to ourselves and how do we feel better here and we have zero concern for the lost and dying people who aren't saved, who live within minutes of this church, who don't hear the gospel, don't understand the gospel. That's one thing that God won't put up with is his church that's supposed to call and live on mission is not being missional, but creating sort of a holy, righteous club that's comfortable. There's nothing quicker that will kill a church than us thinking about what's here for me. So mission drift is what churches always fight against. And so if we're going to stay on mission, and if 18 months from now we're going to survive, we have to determine what our big rock priorities are as a congregation. So... Those big rocks for the next 18 months, these rocks aren't what define a church, okay? These rocks are simply our priorities over the next 18 months. They're not things like we're going to preach the Bible and we're going to talk about the gospel, we're going to baptize people, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, we're going to confess sin. Those aren't what we're talking about here. Today, what we're talking about are what priorities we have to have as a congregation over the next 18 months if we want to be in a strong place in 2020 or 2021 and we want to have another 50 to 100 years of fruitful ministry. Okay, you ready for them? Big rocks in two categories what the leadership is focused on 
and what the church members should be focused on. Right? Here are the big rocks. In the first category, what the leadership is focused on, a big rock priority over the next 18 months, is establishing our ecclesiology. That is how we structure and organize so that we operate as biblically as we can as a church. That includes staff, what staff members need to be here, and how do we manage their workflow. That includes transitioning from single pastor who kind of makes all the decisions to a shared leadership with elders. We are 13 months into a transition from single pastor to an elder form of church leadership. That will continue to flesh its way out, but it will probably take three to five years before that elder team is humming. All right? There's just, there's just, it just takes time because we're talking about laymen who have families, lives, and schedules, and them coming alongside and being a part of meetings and being in that. The transition to an elder form of government is already there. It's just going to take more time to flesh out. Having staff, having elders, uh, ordaining deacons, establishing a membership process, all those sort of things fall into that category of ecclesiology. We're making progress. It's happening regularly. I've met with the elders twice in the past month. We're going to continue to meet. Sharing leadership, sharing ownership, and understanding that is a big rock issue. The second big rock that the leadership is focused on is the merger process. The merger process is so much more than us just meeting in a room together. The merger process is simply this, making sure that all of us are growing and walking in unity. And to the best of our ability, we're not losing anyone. And we're assimilating new people so that we can work together on mission together. It's unity. And no matter how many projects we do, if 18 months from now we're still saying, I'm from Rock Hill, and I'm from Ridgeline, and I'm from another church, and we're still identifying ourselves not as one unified body, but as factions and divisions and groups, we will have failed in the merger process. And that fracture has an ability to rupture and spread. You understand that? The merger process is not a task list. It's a people thing. And we have to walk as slow as the slowest person walks if we want to keep everybody. And so while some of you are at the front of the line saying, let's go, let's go, let's go, there are other people who are at the back saying, why are we going? I liked it the way it was. Why are we? I'm struggling. I'm still here. I'm not leaving, but, but this is too much, too fast. I need help. And so we're, the merger process just takes time. A third big rock is leadership development that is identifying and working toward multiplying leaders for the future. And this began immediately. This began immediately when we merged, was identifying future leaders and investing in them and giving them a pipeline so that the next generation has leadership ability and availability. A fourth big rock is a renovation. That is just refreshing the property to communicate that we have not only a past, but that we have an exciting future for our children, our grandchildren, and for the community around us. Four big rocks that the leadership of the church is focused on. Let me give you something that as a church member, as an attender, as someone who's thinking about making this church your church home, 
what you can be focused on over the next 18 months that would be a big rock category. A big rock category for you. Maybe you feel like, I don't have a place here. Or maybe you're asking the question, where do I fit? Or you're asking the question, why am I, I don't have a ministry role, what am I supposed to do here? If you feel unsure of your purpose here, and if you feel like you're not sure where you belong, if you're ready for ministry, let me give you a track to run on so that you know what you should be focused on in the next 18 months. We've adopted a church organizational system that uses seven systems for healthy churches, okay? The seven systems that healthy churches operate on and run well are a worship planning system, that is how do we organize and do corporate worship together, that's this piece right here, but it takes someone planning, thinking, praying, working, organizing, understanding, and, and really spending a lot of time on making this worship service uh, a God-glorifying, Jesus-honoring, biblical, wonderful experience of worship. That takes time, that takes practice. The assimilation system is how we help new people get involved in the church. The outreach system is how we communicate the gospel to those outside the church. The care system involves how do we care for each other. The spiritual growth system is how we grow spiritually, whether through groups, Bible studies, small group accountability, discipleship groups, etc. The ministry placement system is how we find our spiritual gifts and how we help people operate in their sweet spot. And then the finance and administration system are how we organize structure, our budget, communication, etc. One of those systems appealed to you probably, right? There's one of those places where you thought, that's my spot. That's my spot. I've always been good at blank. Whether God has gifted you with worship ability and you're good at clicking the PowerPoint or adjusting the dials or operating a camera or um, helping with the worship planning. Or maybe you're really friendly and good at assimilating new people. And, and when you come into church, part of your DNA is that you just see new people and your heart sort of beats for them and you want to help them get involved and plug them into relationships. Or, or maybe your heart bleeds for the person who is asleep right now a half a mile away in bed and has no intention of coming here and doesn't know the gospel, doesn't know Jesus and would die today and not go to heaven. Maybe that's who your heart beats for and you want desperately, how do I go reach that person? Or maybe for you, it's uh, being a good steward and God has blessed you with sort of detailed organizational abilities and you're like sort of Joseph that can take an organization and structure it and, and the administrative system might be more for you. Those are things that I want you to start thinking about and praying about because every body has different parts. And if you're not doing your part, the body suffers. But if you're trying to do my part then the body suffers. We can't all be the eyeball and the earlobe and the head and all those things that Paul mentions in Corinthians. We all have different places of service. I've had guys working on my house over the last few weeks and I watch them and I think it would take me a month of YouTube videos before I could even think about doing what you're able to do in a few hours. But it would take you a long time to learn how to preach a sermon and stand up and tell stories and 
biblical texts and all that. So we just do what we do, right? You do what you do well, I do what I do well, and, and we can operate better together. That's the whole idea. So that's some understanding of where we go. You might have some differences. You might have some opinions about what your big rocks, small rocks, and all those things are. You might even disagree with what the church's big rocks are. We won't cover all the other small, medium, sandy kind of things. But I wanted you to have some understanding of what to expect over the next 18 months. Okay? So let me conclude our message this way. Because I had a lot of content, and it's a big sermon, so I apologize. In conclusion, you want to have a life that's not wasted, right? Personally, you don't want to get to the end of your life and realize I wasted it. I didn't do anything with it. And so you might say to me, Gibson, I'm a follower of Jesus. I like for my life to matter, but, and you might give me a long list of reasons. It's too late. I'm too old. I've already made a huge mess of my life. I'm stuck in addiction. I'm stuck in bad habits. I have no motivation or desire to do anything that you're talking about. I'm isolated. For any of the reasons that you feel like you can't have an impactful life, the gospel has an answer. The good news in Christ Jesus is that you have power over sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. It no longer holds power over you, but Jesus Christ has promised you victory. Oh, victory in Jesus. Amen? You're no longer a slave. So that when temptation calls or pulls on the chains around your neck, that chain is loosed. You don't have to go that way any longer. You are free in Christ Jesus. Some of you use your freedom to put that chain back on your neck. But in Christ Jesus, you have the power to unloose that chain and say, I'm done going this way. That's who I was. I don't have to go that direction anymore. I don't live there anymore. I can have freedom and victory over sin and temptation. That's yours in Christ Jesus. The gospel also says that it's never too late for you. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That if you feel like your life is wasted and over, as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is hope that God can redeem you and restore you and develop a fruitful ministry with the remaining years that you have. It may not be easy, but He does most of the heavy lifting through Jesus Christ. The Gospel has an answer to all of your buts except for the one that says, I just don't care anymore. And if you get to a place where you just don't care anymore, then you're already in that 1 Timothy 4.1, some will depart from the faith. You already have one foot in and one foot out. If you'd like to learn more about how not to waste your life, let me give you two resources. John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. You can pick it up. He also preached a sermon at One Day Passion in the year 2000, in which he expands on today's theme in greater and way better detail than I ever could. A second resource is Donald Whitney wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, a fantastic book. 
I have many copies if you'd like one. And the last thing that I would say in conclusion is this, that if you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, if you don't even have the first big rock in place, everything else that I've described here is just an exercise in futility. If, if you've not yet given your life to Jesus, you've not yet surrendered your life to him, then you could add all the big rocks you want in your life. But in the end, in Romans 14, 12, that when you go to give an account for your life and you tell God, I was excellent at Fortnite and I watched all of the Netflix series and, I, and I, I marched in every parade and I did everything I could, he's going to say, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And you have to say, I rejected him. I wanted nothing to do with him. But I did all this other stuff. And he'll say to me, depart from me. For the place that I've prepared for you. That's a sober reminder. That you can do all things well and live a life that seems to matter and forsake eternity. What does it profit a man to gain everything in the world and yet forfeit his very soul? Lord Jesus, may it not be said of us. May us not live a, a life that's wasted. Thank you for great examples like Amy Carmichael, maybe one extreme example, but thank you for the number of examples of just faithful, regular people who are following you and making a difference in people's lives for eternity. Like the stranger who came to my door, whose name I'll never know this side of heaven, who led me to faith in Jesus on a February night. Even though I don't know that guy's name or anything about him, he is laboring in relative obscurity, just sharing the gospel one person at a time. Whether we are Amy Carmichael type people who are being used for your glory in a, a big way, seemingly, or whether we are just small laborers and ambassadors for Christ, let us do it well for the glory of God, that Jesus Christ may be honored by our life and so that we may have an eternal impact. Thank you for this time today in Jesus' name. Amen.